we'll go ahead and get rolling here this morning. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we're going to roll back here into verse number 1. And uh, while we're doing that and folks are coming in and so forth, and um, I will say that uh, Linda and I are doing much better than uh, than, uh, Sunday night. So we uh, had a case of uh, food poisoning, it seems, and... uh, I told Linda, I said, for the, you can't hear me? Not very well? There's no PA? Okay. All right. It's coming, I guess. So he said there is. So uh, anyway, we had, I'll just speak up. Um, On Sunday evenings, our routine is when we're done here is we go get a little bit of yogurt at the yogurt shop. And uh, apparently... That's where we got it from, who knows, but uh, the, uh, I told Linda, I said, for the very first time, uh, I actually feel old, and um, because I, the recovery back for me was, she was six hours ahead of me, I was two days after her getting back on my feet, so I told her, I said, I'm done being old, and she said, yeah, me too, I'm like, all right, here we go, so. Yogurt is the fountain of youth. <laughs> Just getting sick is not. So, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll uh, get all that out of the way. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Uh, let's just read the verse here. Verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother under the church of God which is at Corinth to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we've been introducing the book now, and we're going to do a little bit more of verse number one this morning, and uh, with the hope of kind of wrapping up why Paul uses the language he does here in verse 1 about his apostleship as well as like in Galatians 1 and really what's beginning to transpire. And then next week we'll hopefully get into verse number 2 and move through, uh, maybe get a couple verses. No promise, okay? But uh, the issue here, again, is, is, is we're into this book of reproof here. And in verse number 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And again, it's a, it, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, just real quick, Sosthenes, if you remember, flip back to Acts 18. Let's get him out of the way. Acts 18, who, who he is, Sosthenes, our brother, uh, if, if you will. Um, Acts 18, and then... Verse number 17, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat, and Gallio cared for none of these things. So Sosthenes is one of the chief ruler, he's the chief ruler of the synagogue. Now he is the second guy after verse 8 and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, now watch, believed on the Lord with all his house, 
And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and then were baptized. That issue there of Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all. Now, so Crispus and uh, Sosthenes, prior to Paul, are unbelieving heathen Jews. They're just very religious. Okay, that's who they are. That's the crowd Stephen was talking to in Acts 7, uncircumcised in hearts and ears. Why? Well, because what, is the verse, what does verse 8 tell you? Believed on the Lord. Obviously, before that, he wasn't believing on the Lord. Okay, and Sosthenes. So Paul converts Gaius, I'm, I'm sorry, Crispus, and then his replacement is Sosthenes, and he converts uh, Sosthenes. And what happens is, is if you remember, now go back to chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. If you remember, he's in the synagogue, they, Acts 18, they reject him. He goes outside of the synagogue, turns right around and goes right up into Justice's home, right next door, plants a church, joined hard. So you've got Gaius and, or I'm sorry, Crispus and Sosthenes watching what's happening next door. And these guys are not Bible dumbbells, okay? If they're the chief rulers, they understand their Bible. They don't believe it. That's the part, okay? You can have a lot of Bible knowledge and believe none of it and go to hell. You just can, okay? It's just the way it is because you don't believe it. So they know that when they see Paul baptizing, when they see him doing things, they know that that should be belonging to the nation of Israel, and yet something's going on over there because there's a Gentile. First of all, there's our persecutor. He used to be one of our leading guys, and he's been converted to this Christianity mess. And what a mess. And, look, and so they go, and, they, and Paul, they end up asking. I could just hear that, question, that conversation of, why in the world did you leave a good-paying job for that? Because he was above my equals in the Jews' religion. He was, you know, Paul was the chief of sinners, we're going to see here in a minute. He's leading the rebellion. And they look at him and go, why, why did you leave, you know, black Amex card and all that stuff, and that high level for that? And Paul says, glad you asked, and hits him upside the head with the grace of God. So that converts them. So Sosthenes, our brother, I know some, sometimes people will say, well, you know, our brother, that means he's of the Jewish faith and the Jewish, and that is, Paul never says that like that, like this, okay? Now, by the way, he'll say, uh, of my own flesh, usually, when he's making that reference to uh, the other Jews that come along and help over time and so forth. Or he will say, those that were in Christ before me. Well, that's that believing remnant, that little flock element. Because if, you, if you're in the believing remnant, then that means you're in Christ. You're not in Adam. That's where man sits, in those two places. Man sits in one of those two, in Adam or in Christ, period. That's where they sit, no matter who they are. So if he says that thing in Romans 15, and we looked at that when we went through there, in Christ before me, why? They're the believing remnant. So when he says Sosthenes, our brother here, just know that he's not talking about another Jew, just Jew. He's talking about a member of the church, the body of Christ now. 
and that's going to be important as we move through because of what is happening at Corinthians, at Corinth. Now, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and again, through the will of God. And that's what we've been looking at, and it's important that way because if you, to understand why he uses that, uh, that language, he says, through the will of God. Now, come into 2 Corinthians 1 and look at verse 1. He doesn't say by the will. He says through the will. Now, look at 2 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will. Okay? So, through and by are different. They mean different things. There's an indication of some things different. Again, if you remember, we were just talking about it took four years to teach Romans. So go back four years ago in, in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, comma, separated under the gospel. So he was called first and then separated too. So when you come into 1 Corinthians 1, now go to Galatians 1. Because even now in, in Galatians, uh, just look at Ephesians 1 just real quick and get Galatians 1, Okay. If you look at Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And that tends to now become more of the, the by the will is the more of how he's going to introduce the rest of his epistles. But look at Galatians 1 here in verse 1. So the, 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 it's critically important to catch the language. And we, I know we were in this stuff last time, but I need you, I need you to pick up where we were last week because I, I, I got to uh, finish up last week is what we're going to do this morning, okay? All right? I told you I had eight pages. Literally, I had eight pages. And we're gonna, you're going to get the back four now, okay? Because if you look at Galatians 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle. That's it. See? Not by the will of God, through the will of God. Now, look at, now I know the verse keeps going, but just look at the parenthesis. Not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, that's a completely different way of introducing this book. And the Corinthians and Galatians are in that re bad reproof and correction. The, the children, the babes, the, the car. So we need to appreciate what Paul is doing here in the language through the will of God. And then here, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ. And the language is critical here because what Paul is having to do, and we saw this a little bit last time, is he's having to defend his apostleship at Corinth, Okay. And at Corinth, there's people that are going to come up. We're going to see them as we go through, and they're going to attack his legitimacy. He, should, he shouldn't be not the 13th apostle. He should be the 12th apostle. He's, Peter made a mistake, and, we'll, and, and they lay Peter out. I mean, they, man, they make him the scapegoat. And Peter did, and we know better, and all this stuff, and we'll see some of that here. But this language... By the way, Galatians 1.1 is the only place where Paul talks negatively about his apostleship. Not of men, neither by man, 
There's a negative, everything else always about his apostleship is positive. But here it's negative. Because the church is beginning, has taught that Paul, his apostleship should have been given to him by Peter. And Peter's our rock, don't you know? And Peter's the head of it, don't you know? And they get all of this Acts 1 stuff, and they get Acts 2, and they, they just get all balled up. But Paul says what? No, <laughs> not by man or of man. No human agency agent gave me my apostleship, okay? And again, it's, it, it's important here to catch what Paul is talking about here and the reason for that is because of what Paul is going to, you can come back to 1 Corinthians 1. You, because of what Paul is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's going to be teaching some things that are in direct conflict with the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and with Peter in the, in the little flock in Acts 1 to 7. He's going he's gonna to say, First uh, Corinthians 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me, what? Not to baptize. What did John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter, and the twelve all do? Repent and be baptized. Acts 2.38. See, Paul is going to start teaching some things in direct conflict of what the Lord taught in the Gospels and what Peter taught in the book of Acts. How about money, giving? What was the message of the Lord when it came to giving, tithing? Sell all that you have and give alms. See? Sell it all out, 100%. What did Peter say? Sell it all and bring it to me. Lay it at the apostles' feet. What's Paul say? As you've purposed in your heart. That's diametrically opposite. So if, by the way, healing, woohoo, get into that one, boy. Boy, you want to start a fight? Just bring up the fact that Paul teaches you don't get healed today, that the healing ministry has ceased. And now what you do is you've got the God of all comforts and the God of mercy, and you've got a men men mentality of understanding, of thinking about when you hurt and ache and you know, get food poisoning. <laughs> and what did I do? I said, Lord, if this is what it is, I'm done. Good, take me home. You know, I wasn't looking for a, a, a mercy hand to come out of the sky and, you know, say, well, this is what I'm teaching you. No, none of that nonsense. By the way, what did the Lord do in his ministry? He's healing left and right. Peter, healing left and right. Now, I know in Acts, Paul does too, but that's that provoking ministry. It ceases. 1 Corinthians 13, when we get over there in about five years, <laughs> we'll, at this rate, you'll see that Paul says all that spiritual gift stuff, by the way, the gift of healing. See, healing was part of the spiritual gift ministry. It's all ceased. It's all stopped. That's why he'll tell Timothy, you go take a little food, a little wine for your, your stomach's sake. You know what Paul says, Tim, go to the doctor, figure this out, go see the, 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 the medical field. 
He says, I had to leave guys over here sick at Miletum. I couldn't, I couldn't heal them. Where before he could, he could take care of them. He can't now, why? Because that stopped. So when, the, when Paul begins to teach, he begins to teach things that take and go. So if Peter is where he got his apostleship from, we're in trouble because somebody's a liar. Somebody somewhere is not telling the truth because on one hand, you've got God the Son teaching, you know, and then you've got Paul coming in and saying, oh, no, not today. We don't do that. Then what's going on here? See? So Paul's going to teach some things. And, and, and again, it's not, he's going to say there's no obligation. Paul's going to come in and really notice we are not back there. We're, God's doing something new. Okay? So as we go through this, there's going to be some things that are going to pop up uh, that are going to be opposite and and diametrically opposed. That's how you know Paul could not have written Hebrews. Because in Hebrews, you can lose your salvation. Paul never taught that. So why would Paul say that you're sealed for, for eternity and then come over here and write to somebody and say you're going to lose it all if you don't maintain? Well, the Holy Spirit would never do that. So in Scripture, in, in Galatians 1 and, and here in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is making a rep, not by men, not of men. Paul's referring to that historical event of Acts 1. So come over to Acts 1. Because this is where, and again, I know we did this last time, but what you need to understand is, and, and see, appreciate, I guess, is that Scripture will not allow us today to think that Paul should have ever been the 12th apostle. Do you know who says that? Theology does. Commentaries do. Schools systems do. Because they can't, they just don't want to give Paul his unique apostleship, his unique gospel, his unique ministry message. They don't want that. They want it to be over here. Okay? And that's part of that deceptive issue of, and really in Corinth of getting tapped into the human wisdom, which you have to be very careful with. Just real quick, Acts chapter 1. So you guys, I, I think about, I look at the room, and I know you know this, and then I think about the internet and the tape and everything, Matthew chapter 10 is the, is the chapter on the Great Commission. You want to know the Great Commission? If you have to call. By the way, the Great Commission is a theological term that was developed back in the uh, 1800s to, to uh, late 1800s to early 1900s, I, really, I guess, to, uh, to foster missionary taking, uh, giving and support here in America by a couple guys that, and I can't remember their names. That's why I didn't say them. Okay, I just, I, I just have a complete uh, blank. Yeah, so yeah, blank and a blank. Uh, just shooting blanks today. Okay, and what they did was they were, how do we raise money? So let's coin a phrase, and they coined the phrase the Great Commission, and then they attached it to Matthew 28. They don't even do Matthew 10 because in Matthew 10, if you read the commissioning of the 12 apostles. It starts in the day, in the moment, and it goes all the way out to his second coming and, and into the kingdom. The whole chapter, it just boom, there, here's what you're going to do, okay? So we have the 12. Peter's the head. He's, he's, he is the head of the apostles. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 20. For, and this is Peter, verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120 men and brethren. So the 120 are men. That's who they are. Okay? Who are they? Men. Why? Because we're, we're missing an apostle. All right? I know people use that 120. By the way, that's the number of the priest in, back in the, in the Old Testament. Okay? The priest serving and so forth. But who, it's men. And I know, oh, that little flock was little. Well, not, it's more than 120. Okay? But to think about it. Men. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So we got to fit. We, guys, we have to fill Judas's spot. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. By the way, how does, Paul, how does Peter know to quote Psalms 41? Psalm 69, Psalms 109, Psalms 40. How does he know that? Well, verse 3, he's had the scriptures open to him, and he understands all of that's pertaining to the things in the kingdom of God. And what does the kingdom need? The kingdom needs a governmental setup and the governmental structure for the kingdom on earth, the little physical, visible, earthly Davidic kingdom, is going to be David as king, the 12 apostles sitting on the 12 thrones, judging out then to, to the 12 tribes, and then the tribes go out to the Gentiles. They know that. They're, they don't have to argue about it. They're not worried about it. He's not concerned at all. And he says, guys, that little obscure passage in Psalms 41, by the way, never says the name Judas, just says there's going to be an issue here. And he says, hey, we got to fill this up, verse 21, wherefore of these men, the 120, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So what Peter's going to do is he's going to, Peter, this is Peter. By the way, a man full of the Holy Ghost, okay? Head of the apostles. Well, he's not full of the Holy Ghost yet. Well, yeah, no, no, that's the next chapter. It's coming. But who is he? He's the, he's the boss. He's the head of the 12. And he's going to do something here. He's going to say, look, guys, we got to get our 12 back because our king just left, the nobleman. He's up, on, and he's going to get the kingdom and come back, and we got to be ready when he comes back. That's what he told us to do when he said, occupy till I come, the 10, the 10, uh, the ten talons and the 10 all that stuff there, and we got to be ready. You see, Peter didn't argue this stuff out. He understood what it meant. He understood what the reward was. He understood what the wrath was. He, you know who does that? Dumb, thump Christians. They argue that stuff out. He, Peter is clear. What are we going to do? So here's the qualification, guys. Among the 120 of you sitting here, who of you has been with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us? Now, who here has been a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ from the beginning? So the 120 went, nope, because I came on board just six months ago. <laughs> you know, I came on board a year ago. You know, now watch verse 22. By the way, where is Saul of Tarsus? First of all, he's not in the room. Okay. He's not here at all. 
He, does not, he is not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ at all at this moment. Verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John until that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Now think about that. Who among you guys has been, been a follower of the Lord from the baptism of John until the, the, the ascension that we just saw? You know how many of that 120 there were? Just two. Next verse. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barzabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And well, now watch. And they prayed. Notice they. It went from Peter to they, the room, the group. The other, the 11. By the way, when two or three are gathered, the quorum is established for that, for the, not only the apostles, but for the, the, the believing remnant. So who do we have? We have our quorum met. So this is going to be a bind and loose and, a, and it's going to be a legitimate thing here. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship. Very clear what they're doing with these two guys, isn't it? See, Scripture doesn't allow you to say Paul should have been there. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, he's not there. Isn't that, it's very interesting. Which Judas by transgression fell that he may go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots. And oh, no, and their lot fell on Matthias. Yeah, look at that. They're gambling it away. <laughs> Peter doesn't know what he's... No, that's how they decided decisions. You go back in the Old Testament and figure that out. Now watch. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. I find that very interesting. Here's Peter and the 10, and then the 110, or whatever, and 109. And they come to the conclusion that Matthias is going to be what? Number 12. No lightning bolts out of heaven, zap them down. Actually, the only thing that's going to come out of heaven now in chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit. Now watch verse 1, 2, 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. See, you see that word all? Why? Because we got 12. The they are the men in the room, the apostles. Verse 4. And they were all filled with who? With the Holy Ghost. And it's interesting. What did they do? What The Holy Ghost didn't come down and say, okay, wait a minute. Eleven of you are good. Where, where's that Paul, Saul of Tarsus guy at? Not at all. See. Rather what? Matthias is counted. He's good to go. Drop down to verse 14. But Peter standing up with the eleven. That means what? There's 12. Verse 32. The, this Jesus hath God raised upon whereof we all are witnesses. Remember 1 Corinthians 15. We'll get over there maybe one day. 
And uh, Paul says he was seen of, of uh, Peter and then the 12 and then James and then of about 500. And what's, what, look at what he, and then by the way, last of all, the, le the least of all, the one born out of due time, I saw him. All, chapter 4, Acts 4, verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So Peter didn't make a mistake, okay? And again, there's ample evidence. They're just looking here where the Holy Spirit has no problem saying that Matthias is, the, is number 12. Because what did he do? When it was poured out on him, he went right in, certified the choice. Done deal. So when Paul, now come to 1 Timothy chapter 1, because this is where we left off last time. And I want to go in through this a little more carefully. So when Paul says, I am the apostle, not by, or not of man, or not by man. He's, Paul doesn't need Peter to appoint him. He didn't need Peter to do that. Saul of Tarsus, i.e. Paul, he was nowhere near this room, this upper room. He's not there. So Paul's apostleship is going to be distinct and separate from the prophetic program, from the prophetic message, from the prophetic expectation, from the prophetic goal that Peter and the little flock are going to be pushing now of this renewed opportunity here. And literally, actually, you're in 1 Timothy 1, we're going to find out that Paul, as Saul of Tarsus, is one of those foes. Sit till I make your foes your footstool. See, And that was Saul of Tarsus. He's in that crowd. So when he says, through the will of God, and then he says, not of man, neither by man, because the, the attack on his apostleship is that you should have been number 12. So because you were not number 12, you're illegitimate, and we're not listening to you. And you have no power, and you have, and so literally all through 1 Corinthians and into 2 Corinthians, he's defending. He says, You want to see the proof of my apostleship? Go look in the mirror. You are. You need to examine yourself. How'd you get saved? Did, did it just pop, or did somebody bring you the gospel? And I'm paraphrasing. That's the RJ version, okay? All right. And literally, that's what's going to happen. Now, look, at, if you will, at 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 1. And because there's something here that gets just skipped over and maybe not clearly understood, but it's critical to understanding why Paul defends himself. Now, again, I know what people say, oh, you guys just worship Paul. We don't worship the man. He's no better than you and I. In his, in his manhood, <laughs> okay? If anything, he was probably better than us because he was a Pharisee and, a, and, and a, a, a Hebrew and he was of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, Philippians two, uh, uh, 3, his pedigree, <laughs> okay? 
but as far as religion, religious goes. But look at verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, as we go through this, you need to pay attention to that little punctuational mark called the comma. Because usually what happens is, is people start reading like verse 12, and they read right through the commas. And they make, and that, the, you know, <laughs> let's eat grandma. It's important where you put that comma. Right? It's, you got to pay attention. Yeah, you caught that, didn't you? Okay. All right. I might, well, anyway. Look, look again here. Verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. Who enabled him? Christ Jesus the Lord. Enabled. Jesus Christ is the one who gave the enablement to the Apostle Paul. Okay? For, he, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Uh, by the way, the enablement issue. Uh, uh, hold on here. Come back to 2 Corinthians 3. I, I think about things and I, I'm like, stay to the notes, get done. But you just got to 2 Corinthians 3 verse 5. Okay? Because it, it, this is the idea about he enabled me. 2 Corinthians 3 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of who? It's of God. He's the source. Okay? He, he's the one that gives the enablement. If you take your eye across the page to chapter 4 there of 2 Corinthians verse 7, but we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Why? It's his, it's his ministry. It's his word. It's what he's doing. We're just the vessels in that he's using. Now come back to 1 Timothy 1. So when he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, who enabled him? Christ Jesus, why? He's doing something here. Look over, uh, then he says, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, you got to be careful how you read this because it doesn't say counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. It doesn't say, and this is how a majority of Christianity, Bible-believing, grace-believers, rightly-dividers read this verse. Who hath enabled me, counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. See what they, they they're, they're skipping words, aren't they? See? Because there's a little word, three-letter word there that starts right after that comma. For. See that? For he counted me. For that he counted me, what? Faithful. For. That little word is a further explanation, okay? Four, in Romans 1, he's got those, he's got those big four, four fours, four, explanation here. How is it that I came to be enabled? For that he counted me what? Faithful, comma. See that? So this little phrase is stuck in there. He enabled me putting me into the ministry. Well, how did that happen, Paul? Because 
you're a, verse 13, you're a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious. You're the, end of verse 15, you're the chief of sinners. How did, for he counted me what? Faithful. Now, that's a, 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 that's a, faithful. I was faithful. So the enablement comes from him being faithful. But where was Saul of Tarsus ever faithful? Only one place, Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus when he met his Savior in the roadway. Because what does the Savior do to Saul of Tarsus in the roadway? He says, here is what I'm going to do now. And by the way, how you, how you got to think about this is in verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in that what? That in me first, not with me, but in me. What is he going to do to Saul of Tarsus? He's going to lay out what we've come to learn, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He's going to lay out in front of Paul what becomes Paul's my gospel. He's going to literally look at Paul and in the in the in, in, in you go back to Acts 26 and you see Paul account this. Where he, oh, man, I just, oh, Acts 26, come on. Because what happens is, is I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be carried away here. I want you to understand when Paul's talking about Acts 26, verse, uh, jumping in, verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things, see this, both of these things which thou hast seen. What did Saul of Tarsus just see? The risen, uh uh-uh, ascended, seated far above on the right hand of God the Father. He doesn't see the risen Lord. The twelve and the little flock have done that. Now he's seen what? The ascended. Saul knows that he was Messiah. Because he says, Lord, who art thou? He knows who he's talking to. Because in the Old Testament, over and over and over again in Israel's history, when the big light shined out of heaven, it was God Almighty talking to you. And you better sit there and shut up and pay attention. That's why he says, Lord, Jehovah, who are you? And again, my thinking is, you know what he's saying, don't say Jesus, please don't say Jesus. And he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou put. And he's like, oh, man, I knew it. I knew there was something about that guy. It's like, man, you know, which thou hast seen, and then, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Now watch what he did, verse 18. What did he see? To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. What did Paul, Saul of Tarsus, on the road learn about? Forgiveness of sins. See? He's learning on the road, in the moment, his gospel. And, by the way, he's learning some inheritance among them, which are saying there's some more stuff. Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, his conversion happens right there when the Lord Jesus Christ, arisen, ascended, seated on high, sitting there on the right hand of God the Father, far above all principalities and powers, Ephesians uh, 1 says, looks at him and says, here, buddy, you need to get saved because you're toast. You're going to die and go to hell. And Calvary over there, what you're celebrating is what's going to save your little sorry rear end. And guess what? It's a gift. It's a free gift. And all you got to do is trust me. See, you know what he literally did, if you will allow me, is he took Romans 1 to 5 and just 
laid it on Paul. And Paul said, yeah, I'm a sinner. I, I need you, Lord. I need my Savior. So when you come back to 1 Timothy 1, when he says, for that he counted me faithful, faithful, not in ministry. He's not in the ministry yet. Faithful in what? Believing the same gospel that you and I believe. He's faith. He, he believed God. He understood the danger that he was in spiritually. You're back in 1 Timothy 1, right? Verse 12. Putting me into the ministry. Then he did what? He enabled me. How did he enable me? He counted me faithful. But what did the enablement do? Road to Damascus, you're now my speak, spokesman. He looks there in, in Acts chapter 9, and Ananias says, what am I going to do with him? And he says, you're going to go, you're going to do. And by the way, he's my chosen vessel. He's going to speak me, my name before kings, before the Gentiles, before kings, and before Israel. The whole role reversal in order. Paul's getting some... The enablement is what put him into the ministry because of his faithfulness. He was enabled because he was faithful to the gospel. And he was then put into the ministry because God had a ministry for him to go carry out now. That's why he's going to say, my apostleship was not by any human agent at all. It was by the will of God, and it was through the will of God. You fought through. This is how this got accomplished, guys. Not just him over here going, okay, my will is to have this guy be the... You know, huh? No, it's through the mechanism here. So verse 13. And by the way, this is why we're looking at this. Is this is the through here. Verse 13. Who, I, I, again, verse 12, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, and I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Woo. Ignorant. I didn't know. Unbelief. I knew, but I don't believe it. Okay? So, but notice the issue here. Notice what Paul is catching on to here. See, Paul, every word in verse 13 is just, is just powerful. Paul understood that, you know what? I never qualify to be one of the 12. You know why? Because I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I was a troublemaker. So you know what? I didn't qualify. Now, come back to Acts, and on your way, stop in Galatians 1. I need Acts 26, Acts 22, and Galatians 1. So Galatians 1. In Galatians 1, verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that I loved the church, and I, I took care of it, and I was really holding on to it. And I should have been number 12. Wah, 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 wah. No, not at all. He says what? 
how that beyond measure, I'm sorry, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion. Above many mine equals in my own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, now watch, to reveal his son, where? In me. That's 1 Timothy 1.16. By the way, most read that by me. No. You want to see where God's working today? You're going to go look at the Apostle Paul. And what God's doing, come over to Acts uh, 22. Acts 22. What God's doing with the Apostle Paul is he's waving to the church out there, hey, I'm over here, and if you want to see what I'm doing, you've got to pay attention to Paul. Look at Paul. If I could sign language, I'd be doing, okay. And you know what the church does? Nope. We're going to go by over here. Acts chapter 22, Paul's own words. He's standing before the uh, verse 1. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. I love verse 2. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, <laughs> when he got up and spoke their language, they're like, uh-oh. We f- they forgot who they were dealing with over a few years after Acts 7 and 8. I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way. I love that. Man, Luke, this way, the way. I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness. You don't believe me? Go check the, the, the record. Go check the minutes of the meetings that I had with the chief priest. What is he doing in Acts 9? He's got letters from the chief priest to go to Damascus and get them. There's official documentation of it. And all the estate of the elders from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were, ba- which, uh, which were there bound into Jerusalem for to be punished. This wasn't a holiday. Hey, you won the sweepstakes. Woohoo! Not at all. And it, ca- and it came to pass that as I made my journey and, and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light around him. What's Paul's own account here? What kind of a guy was he when it came to the little flock, the believing remnant? Persecutor. Injurious. Chapter 26 of Acts. That's in front of Israel's leadership. Acts 26, he now stands in front of Roman government. Here's before Agrippa. 26 verse 9. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. What was rule number one? You got to be a follower of Jesus. What did Paul's own words in front of a Roman government under oath with the, per, with the penalty of not perjury, of death? See, forget perjury. That's for wimps. We're going to kill you if you lie to us. 
Oh, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I like that a little better. Clean some things up quickly. The problem is, is what? He says, I was what? I was contrary. Verse 10, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. That is Rome, that's Acts chapter 8, verse 1, with the stoning of and Saul, who was consenting unto the death of Stephen. Consenting. We'll get over there in just a minute. We've got a lot of just a minutes, don't we? And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commissioning from the chief priest, because I, by the way, I read that and I think of, I had a guy one time, oh, this is a new, new noonday vision. I said, no, it's not. You're not reading the previous verses. He's taking you back into Acts 9. And what happened over there? This is what happened. He's a recount here. He's in front. And what did Paul say again and again? (laughs) I wasn't on their side. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. But he also called himself a blasphemer. And look at there in verse 11. And what did he compel them to do? To blaspheme. And there's there's a significance there that we need to catch and we need to understand. Now, you're in Acts uh, we're going to go back to Matthew 12, but on your way, stop in, in, in chapter, uh, in Acts 7, Acts 8, verse 1, just so you see this. And then we'll go to Matthew 12 and talk about blasphemy till the time runs out. Look at Acts 8, 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there were great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Do you see that thing about consenting? If you let your eye run back up to the end of verse 58, they laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Matthew 12. Here's a guy that has carrying official letters of authority from the chief priest. He's the chief of the sinners. He's leading the rebellion. And they're ready to throw the first stone at Stephen. And they look over to Saul, who's sitting over there holding the coat. He's the ticket coat taker. By the way, laying their, their coat at his feet is a, is a picture of authority in the Old Testament. Who's in a, who is in charge here? Notice it wasn't the chief priest and the guys that Stephen was talking about. It's who? It's Saul. You know why? Because he carries authority from the, the higher-ups, from the bigwig city of Jerusalem. And what do they do here? They look over at him, and he goes, thumbs up. He's consenting. He gave his consent to killing. Oh, yeah, Paul should be number 12. No, not in the right. That's why I said Scripture doesn't allow you to come to that conclusion. Look at Matthew 12. Now, let's talk about blasphemy here. Matthew chapter 12, in Israel's program, by the way, the Lord here, just for context, if you go back up there, he's being, in verse, starts in verse 22, uh, he, he's being accused of uh, working for the devil, okay? He's out here casting out de- demons, and he's healing people, and they say he's, he's really, uh, uh, 
verse 24 there, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub. By the way, you know what Beelzebub means? Lord of the flies. Okay, there you go. Uh, the prince of the devils, and Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation in every city, and house divided against itself shall not stand. And if, ca if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? See, they're, they're, trying, they're getting the Lord. Now, drop down to verse uh, 31. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall blaspheme shall be forgiven unto men, but the blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, now watch, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, nor neither in the world to come. So here is the the unpardonable sin, they call this. It's, by the way, it's this, and then it's the mark of the beast you can't get away from. You do that, you're done. You're toast. Okay? But think about what's going on here. How does one blaspheme the Holy Ghost? Because what's not forgivable? You want to speak against the Lord? Remember what he said? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Right? They spoke. He, he'll look at the disciples and he says, hey, you think they hate you? They hated me first. <laughs> and oh, by the way, for you and I today, when you talk to people and they reject the Lord Jesus Christ and his testimony and then his minister, Paul, you know who they're rejecting? Not you. They're rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the ambassador. You just get to take it on the chin. But notice what's going on here. How does one speak against the Holy Ghost? How does one blaspheme? By the way, notice blaspheme, and then the next verse is speak against. So what does blaspheme mean? To speak against. That was brilliant, wasn't it? I'll be sending you bills, all of $25,000 for your first semester here at the University of. Okay? Yeah. Make them out to Charles R. Jordan. and Okay? You see, the Lord here is, by the way, the Lord's the one doing the talking here. So to blaspheme is to speak against. So what, then, what does, or to speak against the Holy Ghost, so what does that mean? Well, in, or, in other words, to speak against the Holy Ghost is to be in opposition to what the Holy Ghost is doing. Okay? Come over to John 14. You see, there's a ministry that the Holy Ghost is going to have, that if you go against, if you oppose it, you're damned forever, period. You're condemned. You're not forgivable. Well, when does this happen historically in the nation of Israel? Okay? Now, you have to remember something here. You have to remember Israel's lovely history. How did Israel react to the Father, God the Father, in the Old Testament? With love, joy, and embrace, or with rejection? Rejection. They went after gods of, other, of the world, the Gentile world. They reject. They didn't want, we don't want you. We want something else. So the Father sends the Son. How'd they, how'd they embrace the Son? We will have no king but Caesar. We don't want him. They kill him. Okay. By the way, they kill the, the John the Baptist. That's a picture of the them killing the father. But all right, 
John the Baptist was sent by the Father, so you've got a picture there. Again, Matthew 21, Luke 19, Luke 20, the noblemen, all this. He's going he's to go off. He's going to send his son. They're going to kill him because he's the inheritor, and then they'll get it. See. So the only member of the Godhead left that they haven't messed with, rejected, is the Holy Ghost. Okay, up to this point here, to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've rejected the Father for thousands of years, they've, and they kill him in John the Baptist picture. They reject the Son, and they kill him. By the way, what are they going to do to the Holy Ghost? Kill him in the picture of Stephen, just in case we don't get there, okay? So the Father says, you don't want me. I send you my Son. You don't want him. So I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit now. John 14, look at verse 20, uh, uh, verse 16. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Never miss that word, another, okay? That he, may, that he may abide with you forever. So what's coming to him? The Lord's in the upper room. He says, guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again the third day. I'm, I'm going to be ascended up. He goes through all of that with them. They don't get it. Okay, But when I'm gone, the Father, I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Ghost to you. Verse 26. Watch, what he, watch the Holy Ghost ministry. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Ministry aspect number one of the Holy Ghost is to do what? To teach them. And he's going to do that by remind, for, okay, so what's his, what's his ministry? To teach. How's he going to accomplish that? One, I'm going to remind you of the Gospels. I'm going to remind you of everything that the Lord said and did here. Now, chapter 16, verse 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. What's the second? How's he going to teach? One, he's going to remind them, and two, he's going to show them things to come, Hebrews to Revelation, if you will, in your book. What's the, what's the ministry here of the Holy Spirit? Come over to Acts 2. What's the... What's the it's a teaching ministry. It's gonna, he's going to remind them of the. By the way, you know why Paul, the writer of Hebrews says we're not going to go back to the doctrines of Christ and all of that? They were, if they had the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and if they were part of the believing remnant, they would never have to be reminded of that. See? <coughs> Hebrews says we're going to go forward into the better. Why? Because that's the things to come, Hebrews 2. Verse 5, I think, of wherever the things we speak are the thing to come. So notice what's happening here. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 4. Here he comes. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with the Holy Tongue, with other tongues, as they studied out and got ready for the next day's ministry. No, as what? As the Spirit gave them utterance. So what's again, the Holy Ghost now is going to empower. 
the, those, the, that little flock, that 12, the believing remnant there, to speak in a, to broadcast to the nation, and no matter what the language requirement was, to broadcast, there's a renewed opportunity now for the nation of Israel. Prophecy said a kingdom's coming. The Lord said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Acts, it's here, take it. That's all you got to do is take it. And what do they do? No, we don't want it. The renewed opportunity, verse uh, uh, 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of, now watch, every nation under heaven. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the list in verse 9, 10, and 11 is just the known world. That verse 5 says what? Every nation. Also that tells you that the tongues that they're speaking are clearly identifiable foreign languages. Not an unknown mess. See? Okay, verse 8, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? By the way, who's doing the speaking? The Holy Ghost is through who? Through the ministry of the 12, the ministry of the little flock going to be. And again, they're broadcasting to apostate Israel. You have a you have a final opportunity to believe that God still wants to accomplish his eternal purpose in the earth with you, if you can believe it or not, the nation of Israel. Are you, are you, did I lose you? Okay, please hang on. We're, it's hours up, but we're going to finish this. 216, uh, 2.16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What does Peter go to? To the prophet Joel, but who took him there? The Holy Spirit. What's he going to do? And it, came, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, little flock, and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. What's happening here? We have the work of who? The Holy Ghost going on. He's Now come over to chapter 7 because time is up. And I, I just get this because I want to move on. Okay. All right. Because notice what's happening. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I opposed the very ministry of the Holy Ghost. And I compelled them Israel, the nation, to do what? The same thing. No wonder Paul's got a heartbreak in Romans 9, 10, when he, and 11 when he says, my heart's desire is that Israel would be what? They'd get saved. Why? They're lost. They're sinners. Chapter 3, verse 9 says, we're on the way to hell. And only rescue now is my gospel. Chapter 7, you have Stephen. You know the account. He's a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost back out of chapter 6, verse 51, 750, uh, well, 751. He's talking to the council, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, 
as your fathers did, so do ye. Now watch, which of the prophets, now what does a prophet do? Yea, hath God said. Speaks, broadcast. Have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Woo! Verse 54, when they heard these things, they just loved him to death and, and fell. No, they, they go and gnash on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God, then cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Stephen. And they stoned, uh, his name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not the sin. See, that's a singular thing there. The sin of what? Not murder, not killing him, but what? Blaspheming the Holy Ghost. And he, when he had said this, he fell asleep. At that moment, Israel falls spiritually. They are done. The next thing that should have happened was going to be the carrying out of Daniel's 9's fulfillment and prophecy. And yet, what really happened? Come back to 1 Timothy 1. What happened? Acts chapter 9, road to Damascus event. And God reached down and he changed the dispensation in Acts 7. They fall. Boom. He changes the dispensation so that he can do now what? Acts 9, convert Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. So what Paul said, by the way, 1 Timothy 1, verse 13, who was before a blasphemer, then he says, but I obtained what? Mercy. How did he obtain mercy? Because God, Israel had fallen, God had changed the dispensation, and now what can he do? Now he can reach over and have mercy on the chief leader of the rebellion against and do that. But notice the verse, I did it ignorantly. Now everybody goes, and unbelief. No, I did it ignorantly, what? In unbelief. Now, we don't have the time for this, but you go and you look at that issue of, of, uh, of, of ignorance. Ignorance is a description of the place and the position that the Gentile nations held back there. You go to Acts 13, you go to Acts 17. The, at this time of ignorance, God winked at. The time of the, ignorance belongs, is a descriptive term to, of the Gentiles. They're ignorant. They don't know. But unbelief is the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel, the Jew. And you go over to Romans 11, 30 to 32, and you find out that he concluded them all in unbelief. I, actually, look at that. I'm, I know I said I'm done, but Romans 11, it's just us. Look at verse 30. Romans 11, verse 30. For as ye in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. So ye, 
the Gentiles. For as ye, Gentiles, verse 31, even so have these, Israel, Jews, also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Literally what Paul is saying is, as I was in, the, in ignorance, ignorantly in unbelief, I, literally what Paul's saying is, I was in the condition of the apostate Jew and the heathen world out there, the Gentiles. At the very moment Israel fell. That's what my condition was. But I obtained what? Mercy. Why? God changed the program. That's why there in verse 16 of 1 Timothy 1, he will say that in me first. God had never displayed that before until Paul. So we better quit because I'll be in trouble if I'm not already. The thing is, is back here in chapter 1, 1, when he says, through the will of God. This is how this came about. Not by man, not over here by Peter and the boys, but it came this way. Why? Because Christ, God had a program he needed to get going, and I was the ripe candidate because I matched the spiritual condition of apostate Israel and I match the spiritual condition of the world out there, the Gentile world. And he takes a Jew and a Gentile now, and what does he make? One new body. One new man. Okay? And that's the by the will of and so forth. All right. <clears throat> by the way, also, it's by the commandment of the everlasting God and Father. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for the Apostle Paul. And for your mercy and long-suffering and forbearance and forgiveness and for all that you have put on display in him. And as we begin to look here at the book of 1 Corinthians moving forward and we begin to see that sanctified saint but yet living in a carnal condition, that we would just bear to mind where it all started in our apostle. In your name we pray. Amen.